most times if I have a, a even halfway decent metrics dashboard that I can look at when I start working with a school, I can pretty much figure out where all their threats and opportunities are. And once again, what I mostly find is the biggest threat is themselves because <laughs> they're just not they're not taking full advantage they can of all the opportunities they have around them and they're not really they haven't really optimized their marketing their funnel their copy their program descriptions those sorts of things are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable well-organized and mission-driven company well i'm nate shaw co-founder of the Brooklyn Music Factory. And I'm Daniel Patterson, founder of Grow Your Music Studio. And we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school. So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Seven Figure Music School. Towards the end of last year, I was scrolling Facebook, was in a Facebook group for music school owners, and found a post uh, from someone who uh, was experiencing a little bit of turmoil. Uh, essentially, a big corporate chain had a uh, music school, we'll just name it here, School of Rock, had moved into their neighborhood. Not just moved into their neighborhood, this particular school owner could see this new music school from the front of his music school. Mm. They were freaked out about this school of rock coming into the neighborhood. Simultaneously, someone in our mastermind, Nate and I's mastermind, uh, reported to us that they had a music school opening up in his neighborhood. And he was Mm. kind of wrestling with this, uh, getting concerned. So Nate and I sat down, kind of had a discussion about competition and whether or not a corporate chain or any other music school is a threat to your business. And that is what we're going to cover in this episode today. So Nate, here's my question. Mm-hmm. Let's start out. And I think we'll just ping pong back and forth. I don't think we're going to have like a, a super neat bolded list of what you need to do. My conception of this episode is that we're just going to talk about the nature of competition, how to be prepared, what one needs to do. And what opportunities might lie in this perceived threat that any music school owner could have at any time if someone moves into their neighborhood. Um, So I want to make this maybe a little more free form. Let's just start with that in mind. What are your initial thoughts about about this? Well, right out of the gate, massive empathy for this small business owner because the same story literally happened at Brooklyn Music Factory in like year three of our existence. We had a school of rock. open up like six doors down on the same side of the street of us in Brooklyn. Um, and so right out of the gate, I'll say, man, I totally get the initial um, emotional reaction of just being yes. like, man, this is my baby. And now somebody is like, try is just, it, someone might take away my baby, my small business, this thing that I've put everything into, someone's going to just open up on the block and try to take it away. So yeah, and that's what I would open with Daniel, which is just like, I feel you. I know what it's like. It's literally happened to BMF. And I want to acknowledge it. It's almost like you take it personally. You start to feel like this anger. How yes. dare this person do this? You know, you know, hey, it's just another small business owner. They're trying to make it too. But we, 
I want to, I do want to acknowledge, like you're saying that those emotions can run pretty deep, can run pretty hot. Yes. Had whenever I'd see an ad for another music teacher or music school in my area, or even guitar center, I would take it a little bit personally when I noticed that in my own personal, you know, in my own area. And then what I can add to it, Daniel is now it's 10 years later and we're thriving. Mm. So the good news is that there is absolutely a path forward even when you have a guitar center, which we have within striking distance of BMF, or a school of rock, which we have, you know, mm-hmm. within blocks of us now because we've since moved. But um, the point is, is there is a path forward. So that's what I hope today's uh, episode will be all about. Okay, let's start with a really easy question. I think we both can answer. Uh, do you think a big corporate chain threatens a music school or any music school being in you know the close vicinity? of a music school, does it threaten them? What are your thoughts? I would say um, it does not threaten you if you're ready, able, and willing to get crystal clear on why you matter as a music school. Hmm. So it does threaten you if you're thinking you're playing some kind of marketing game where it's like whoever can throw a more money at SEO and uh, and your and the Google Ads is going to win. If you think that that's the game you're playing, then I would say hell yeah, I'd be nervous because how are you going up against the resources of um, corporate HQ of a school of rock, which is funding all of these SEO um, ventures, etc. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to, but you are very much going to win and not only win, but you're going to probably find a much stronger version of yourself if you're willing to dig in deep to uh, why you matter. Mm -hmm. So it's not a threat if you're willing to go there. I'm going to answer in a similar way, but with different reasons that are complementary to your reasons. No, I don't think. Mm. It it is a very rare situation where, and I've worked with a lot of music schools, and I can't think of a time where I saw a music school open up or the presence of competition being there. I've thought, oh, this is actually a legitimate threat that could end that business. I don't know if I can think of one instance where I saw that because the truth of the matter is, is that there was already competition there before. You've just become Mm -hmm. more aware of this particular threat, but there were already all kinds of other threats that you weren't even taking into account. It isn't just School of Rock. The dance, you're a music school, but the dance school down the street is actually, quote unquote, a threat to you as well. The karate school is a threat. Yes. You didn't yes. identify it emotionally as much as a threat, but it was it was a threat. I don't want, now, again, the, the undercurrent of this show is massive empathy, okay? But um, I would say they're about as much a threat as Instagram and TikTok being a threat. Okay, and what I mean by that is the real threat that we all as business owners have is is actually an attention. So the Kardashians yes. are a threat to you. Uh, Instagram and TikTok are a threat to you because they take valuable attention and focus away from the thing that you're trying to put out into the world. Um, but we don't perceive that as a threat. We do perceive the corporate store opening up or another music lesson chain opening up or flashy marketing or what looks like expensive marketing. We perceive that as a threat. But to me, they're all about on the same level. And I'm going to go into more logical and rational reasons why later in the episode. But my overall answer is no, not a threat. Nice. I love it. So 
I'm going to go back to the our story for a second to answer that, which is when School of Rock moved onto our block, we had a Jam Band 101 program. Um, we mm. had a Rock, Write, and Record program. And both of those group class programs or those band programs were focused primarily on kind of like building community through collaboration in a band. And we used cover songs almost exclusively. So a direct... That. A direct threat, like the, to to a parent outside looking in, it could be like, oh, th- these two places are doing the same thing because they wouldn't have yes. the sophistication to see how you were unique. Okay, continue. I just wanted to point yes. that out, though. And that's a super important year. The way they don't have the sophistication, they're they, they're not really going to dig deep into the features. How mm-hmm. are you different? Um, and in fact, so often people, I would describe Brooklyn Music Factory, and they would say, "Oh, you're like a school of rock." <laughs> And of course, I would immediately be like, oh, it's like a gut punch Ouch. that I'm just like, yeah, I'm just like the other program. Because I've always prided myself, like I'm sure basically all of our listeners, if you're a, if you're an entrepreneur and a small business owner, you're most likely priding yourself on how you have a unique vision and are driven to do something that is going to be you know, really specific and is going to be a um, presentation of you. Right or you plus your partners, um, and so one of the very first things that it helped us do is look very carefully at how we were different, and we had already started exploring songwriting some, and in truth, we only really did songwriting um, in well, not exclusively, but primarily we did it in the advanced bands. So we had a touring band program. So if you were like a teenager you would write and record a record. So that was the one place where we really did a lot of songwriting. But the very first thing it did for us is help us say, wait a minute, wait a minute, we need to look at very specifically how we're different than every other music school in Brooklyn. Um, And so we already knew that we were going to be a pop and rock school. Like We knew that we were focusing on those instruments. We, We had tried to offer every instrument under the sun in year one, and that was a totally a mistake. So now we were just, you know, piano, bass, drums, vocals, um, and guitar. So then we said, let's double down on this thing that we love, which is songwriting. Um, and very much my partner at the time, like that's the world she came from. She wasn't like a conservatory musician at all. She was like a, she was a full on rocker. She had a band, she wrote songs. That's what she did, you know, and that's where her heart was. Um, and then the third, uh, uh, you know, the third piece of, for us was we were always playing games like whether you know the first the rehearsal always started with some kind of drum circle game and then we would play some kind of ear training and music theory game and we realized like that was a key differentiator for us we were super nerds like we we did not want our students to just be able to get up on stage and execute or perform we wanted them to understand the building blocks of music actually it was much more important for us that they um, were were music nerds like we wanted them to really understand what was the choices they were making when they were writing songs, more so than we needed them to perform flawlessly on stage for parents. And so, yeah, I would say number one for us is it just this kind of look at your competition, as it were, is actually more of a clarity, a vision. Okay. I don't know if this is necessarily pushback. It's probably more of an of a request for clarification because 
Mm. in getting very deep into what you said there, it sounds like that you became acutely aware of of why you guys were better or unique. But again, the end user doesn't have the sophistication to see that. One uh, Another favorite quote of mine from Alex Hormozzi, mm. uh, he had this tweet that I read that I'm going to botch it a little bit here, but he says, assume the person um, doesn't know who you are, what you do, doesn't care, is in a rush, and has a third grade education. Use that when you're designing your messaging. So all that nerdy stuff that's super important to you, Nate, they're not going to pick up on that. So how did you actually translate that to something that helped you thrive and withstand this, quote again, quote unquote, threat? Yeah, that's a great question. And again, just in full transparency, because that's what we strive for here, is that it didn't happen overnight. Okay. Like I felt myself oftentimes trying to frame how we were different by talking about how School of Rock you know, wasn't oh. actually a methodology. It was just a genre of music. School of Rock is about playing classic rock tunes. That's not curriculum, mm. right? That's just genre of music. So um, I started by that sort of defensive mode of like, yes. well, this is what they do, you know? And of course, that's just... It doesn't work. It's important to know what they do. It doesn't yeah. work, right? Um, so... I would say where we've had the most luck over the years is by talking about like what's the evidence of success with our students. So one of the one of the first key language pieces that we put in there was okay, when you enroll your child, we are always thinking about how the community is supporting your child in every step of her songwriting journey, her musician's journey. And so parents would be like, "Wait, what does that mean?" Well, right away we'd say well, it's an entire community of educators and families that are supporting your child. And they're like, huh, that's so now a parent's thinking like, is that what I want? Or am I more like the customer who needs just a piano teacher to show up to their living room? Right. Mm. That's very different. Right. So they're now differentiating a little bit. Secondly, we'd say your child will write songs and will collaborate with other songwriters. Period. Can you imagine your child as a songwriter? And the parent would be like, well, well, I don't really know. I mean, I never really thought about it. But my child sure is really creative and they've always been singing or like they love to draw pictures and they love, they're just very, they're a creative person. And I say, well, then this might be the community for you because we are constantly supporting and nurturing a group, a community of creative kids. So do you, can you imagine your child doing this? And then, of course, the final piece, and you talk about this all the time, is don't tell them, show them. Absolutely. Just our, we just put out loads of, if you go to the Brooklyn Music Factory Instagram channel, you'll just see. It's like literally once a week, all we do is celebrate the lyrics that, that have been written in the last month by our students. And it shows the lyrics. It shows the chord progressions that go with those lyrics. Um, and it's like, there's no sort of, you know, I think the key for us is that um, it's so simple our students collaborate on songs and then they perform together with other students that are all celebrating the process of writing original music. And so for some parents that totally resonates. They're just like, Oh, I want my kid to be like, I want my kid to be a creative nerd. Like I want (laughs) them to be in there writing other parents really want their kid to be up there performing. 
like mm. an ACDC tune. And we will mm. never promise that ever. Mm. You know, even we actually define failure for him too. We say we have failed your child if she gets up on stage and sings a Taylor Swift song alone. If she sings beautifully and performs an amazing song by herself in front of 300 people, we failed you. And we'll just say it out loud. We're just like, because our whole purpose is to encourage her to want to collaborate with others. Mm. And if there's, if she's not collaborating, we failed. And if she hasn't written, you know, dozens of songs by the time she gets up there at 14 at the teen open mic, she's not inspired to share her own music. We failed you. Hmm. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. Marketing is your ability to communicate very clearly the value of what you do in a way that your that parents can understand. So it's not just about communicating value, but in a way that they can understand. And if you mm-hmm. teach adult students, obviously in the way that those students can understand. Mm-hmm. So that really resonates. I would love to hear where you see the opportunities and how you translate this. So I want to start with just two stories, Nate, and then I want to kind of go into this complimentary idea um, that really fits hand in glove with your purpose and mission, because that's the high level view. And I want to move Mm -hmm. into what then do you actually practically do with those thoughts? Once you become aware of what makes you unique, what do you do? So here's two stories. I've worked with a lot of studios over the years. Um, near as I can count, looking at all our client records and that sort of thing, like somewhere around 750 studios or schools around the world. There are a number of places in the United States and in Europe where I have three or four studios that are in really close proximity to each other where they've worked with me. In some cases, it's because one of the school owners was really happy about working with me and told their friend, another school owner, you should go Mm. work with this guy. They are competition. They're very aware of each other's presence. There's a place in North Atlanta where there are four schools who are running the same program that I taught them within like a five mile radius of each other. They're within a five mile. They're all within like this five five square miles or five mile radius, whatever. Some are even like a mile apart and they're running the same exact program. I want to tell another quick story here. Speaking of Atlanta, the very first client I ever have, and I know she listens to the podcast, so she'll smile when I tell this story. Uh, the very first client I ever had when she started with me, she had 21 students. She's worked really, really hard over the last five, six years, up to nearly 400 students now. And she literally mm. had another music school open in her same building. Right. And not only that, the owner was, okay, the owner copied her marketing, copied the programs that she was doing in the same building. Now, Mm. this was not a threat to my client. And in fact, 
we spent more time talking in some of our coaching calls around just like dealing with the frustration and kind of the anger of having your work ripped off than we really mm. did talking about the existential threat that this presented to her school because um, a common a common phrase that we use at that time, and this was a while back, like five plus years, we, we kind of quoted Gary Vaynerchuk. He had kind of blown up on social media at that time. And Gary had this phrase of, you can't beat what you copy. And that's the phrase mm -hmm. that we kept saying to each other to kind of encourage her in this really frustrating, but not threatening situation she was in. Uh, by the way, since that time, she's absolutely kicked the butt of this other school. Obviously, you can't beat what you copy. It's true. <laughs> so those are the stories that I would frame what I'm about ready to say. And then I want to kind of move into the more rational slash practical things that I think one should engage in uh, moving yeah. forward. If you truly believe there's an existential threat, you have mm -hmm. one of two ways to approach this. And if you aren't aware that the second one exists, you will default to the first one, which can put you through some storms, so to speak, mm. some emotional storms. Because the default is to supply anecdata for yourself. And as humans, we tend to be negative. And so what I try to bring in my coaching and just even in my own personal challenges that I have in my business and life is what is the actual facts of the situation? So you yeah. can either assume like, oh, I, I bet you there's a, I bet you 50-50 we don't exist in two years because this other school opened, you know, like, okay, well, that's right. data, but it's not based on anything. So what data can we actually look at? And that's really the point here. Your metrics mm. will tell the story. So if you actually think that there's a threat, you'll actually be able to measure the size of the threat that that person presents to you. So for instance... If you're running ads or SEO or you have some sort of ongoing marketing that you're doing and this other school opens up, whether it's School of Rock, Bach the Rock, any kind of chain store, guitar center, or just another music school or, or program, and hmm. you can go into your website data and look at how many people visit your site each month. And if they're an actual threat to you, you will actually see your traffic decrease. That's actually a way that you can measure the extent to which they're a threat to you. Oh, we were getting 200 visits before. Now we're only getting 120. That's mm. the size of the threat they are. Similarly, you can look at all parts of the funnel and measure the size of the threat that they are. If your ads before, and now I'm going to get kind of nerdy here, but I'm not going to go too deep into this. Let's say you're running Google ads, which I think every school in America should be running if you're wanting growth. You can actually measure what's called your impression share. There is a column that you can add to your campaign called competitive metrics. And one of the metrics is how much are my ads getting shown versus the number of times they could have been shown given how many people are searching for this. You can actually see mm. that number. And there are things you could do that if that number dropped to shoot it right back up to maximum again. And I know how to do that. And I've taught schools how to do that. So you can actually see how many times your ads aren't being shown versus if, if they're being shown, your, your, your competitor's ads are being shown. Now, obviously, you can't do that on every platform, but that's one that you can do on Google. But the larger mm. point that I'm trying to make here, not, not to get too uh, nerdy or in the weeds, is that you can actually measure the impact that their presence has on you. If before you were measuring and you were getting 12 contacts on average a month and it drops to eight, then you actually know and you can project out, oh, their presence here is going to 
cost me this or it, it is going the new normal will be this based on what I'm seeing in all these metrics. But here's the thing. This is the punchline, Nate, to all of this. That in in actual instances where I've been coaching someone and this a threat like this has shown up, or a threat like this already exists for someone, it's very rare that I actually see a significant dent in their metrics. It's Ooh. very rare. That's the honest truth. That so yeah. So what, what's happening, and I want to kick it over to you because obviously you have something to say here. What's happening is, is that people are having an emotional reaction to a new perceived threat. They're supplying anecdata that isn't really grounded in reality as to how big that threat is. And then they don't have a metric system in place to actually measure the true extent of what that threat is. It could be, it could be worse, but most of the time it isn't. And again, most of the time for schools that actually start measuring their metrics, this is the final punchline for schools that actually start measuring their metrics more often than not, the biggest threat that a school owner has is themselves because most of the time they're not spending enough on marketing, not optimizing their marketing enough, not getting clear enough on who they are, what their messaging is. And most of the time when a school comes to work with me, I don't focus on their competition. I almost exclusively focus on all the ways that they're dropping the ball themselves and help them move to correct those problems. And we see a lift in their numbers that had nothing to do with the competition around them that already existed and is future proofed them from any other competition coming in. Even if other competition did come in, let's say a really well-run, well-capitalized music school came in, it really shouldn't be an existential threat. If they're doing everything they can to have a really good funnel and a good marketing presence and the big one, a good product that they can clearly explain to a potential client, hey, here's who we are, what we stand for in simple, understandable terms. That is the best way that they can future-proof themselves and and take steps now to distinguish themselves from current competition and future competition. Yeah, it's super interesting because the um, what I hear you saying is that anytime we're feeling – like I have this thing written in my journal right now that's like, Nate, if you're feeling something in your gut, then then you want to sit with that feeling. Like, don't just bump it aside. Like, don't use your avoidance tactics to just be like, I'm going to power through this. Um, but rather sit with the feeling and address the feeling. And what I hear you saying is like, yeah, it's of course you might be feeling that, but that's an area that where we have an opportunity to work on ourselves. Um, and we can help work on ourselves by activating. What are the very specific things we can measure and do? And I, and I want to go to there. I want to go there next because this is an area personally, Daniel, where like my coach has been hammering me for the last year plus, which is like, Nate, it's this isn't a navigation issue. This isn't an issue with you around whether you have whether you're on you're doing the right thing with your life. This is an activation issue. An innovation and activation issue. So make sure you stay active in what you can get done over the next seven days, over the next month, and then assess how it's going. Um, and so a couple things that we did right out of the gate, um, I already talked about one, which is we really sat down as a team and talked through our products and our Ooh, purpose and said, hey, let's get that. crystal clear about what we're offering and get really specific about it and then make sure... By the way, 
that we're not just sharing it with the teachers and saying, hey, this is what we're doing now. We're a songwriting program. It's all about collaboration. Make sure that it gets into your marketing messaging. Make sure that that gets onto the landing pages, gets into your emails, double down on what you believe to be your purpose Mm. and how you define success, how you define failure with a student. Make sure that you're sharing that. The next thing we did, and this was this came in a marketing workshop that I went to years ago when I really appreciated mm. it, was uh, doing a, con- a competitive review. And I just pulled this up. It's from, I don't even remember. Yeah, it was last edited in 2017. So uh, it's old um, and we b- uh, built it before that. Um, but basically, it looks at all of the schools in our neighborhood. Not all of them. We just picked four, actually. It just says, pick four competitors and then ask yourself, um, what's their story? What does the logo mean? And then what are the key, give like four, three to four key messaging pieces that they put on their website. Um, so the number one competitor I wrote here was School of Rock and their logo, just what is the meaning? What's the story we see? It's like life is rock and roll, right? And then the key messaging we wrote down was they put rock, they wrote create killer musicians, they wrote, everyone deserves to feel like a rock star. They wrote, performance is everything. So it, get, it gets really easy for us to be like, oh, everyone feels like a rock star. Like you were talking about how to differentiate yourself. Well, obviously, if we tried to copy the School of Rock's messaging, we would just be, you know, it'd be a, it, would be a, it would be a failed attempt. Um, we just keep wondering why our inquiries were going down and why we couldn't compete, right? So that's one very simple thing you can do, which is just actually conduct a competitive review. Pick four different schools. Don't focus only on that corporate, you know, the School of Rock or the Bach to Rock. Pick the three other schools that are small businesses in your neighborhood, you know, and be like, how are we, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It flies in the face of reason. Yeah, what do you got, like, I'm already freaked out about the one. Why would I add three more to it? But that's what happens when you approach things rationally. <laughs> it's so good. Nate, I think as we move into the, you know, kind of wrapping up here, I love that. It's very practical. You're giving someone something to do. Any other practical things or even yes. big picture thoughts as we kind of wrap it here? Because I'm going to end on a few practical things as well, but I really want you to to put it all out there on the table to help people as much as possible. Again, massive empathy let, is the undercurrent of this episode. <laughs> let me give you a couple of other practical. Yeah. So action is everything, right? Make sure you're taking action. If you're feeling, uh, if you're not seeing an opportunity and instead feeling a threat, the best way we know how to get out of that is through action. It's to make sure you're activating and knowing that you have a seven day plan or a 30 day plan. Here's what else I'd put on it. I'd friggin' call your competitors and act like a customer. Be like, what is it like when I call them? What's the what's the what's the person on the phone talking like? What is the you know? Make sure you do a price analysis. Make sure you know the pricing of those four schools. Um, do a cost analysis and know whether your how your pricing fares against theirs. Theirs. Um, next thing I would do is. I would figure out what they are paying their staff. Make a, do an operational analysis. This is not complicated. You can go on something like Indeed, or I think it's uh, what is it? Glass, gla- uh, I can't remember what it is. Glass door, glass ceiling. Can't remember which it is. But there's glass plenty door. of site. Glass door. Thank you. Glass ceiling. Something entirely different. Anyways, <laughs> that's, you can go on there and you can find out what people were paying. 
we have, you know, one of our competitive advantages of BMF is that we know that we are offering a starting hourly that's competitive and much and and actually much better than, for example, a school of rock will do. Um, you know, remember when you're talking about a school of rock, like that's a franchise and 10% of what they're making is going back to HQ. So they have to work on different margins than you might be able to work on. So those are a couple of other actions. Look at some operational research you can do with your competition and also look at some, um, some HR, some people power research you can do. Who are they hiring? How long are people staying there? Can you figure out what they're paying? You can call them and pretend you're applying for a job. You know, if you want to figure out what the starting salary is, you can see what they say. You know, so those are things that can kind of benefit you in terms of, as you talk about, Daniel, getting a whole bunch of facts down on paper. Get all these things down in your Evernote and then begin to look from a factual standpoint around how you're going to differentiate and move forward. Can I give one last fun fact? And then this, this is it. Back to you. You are not in the business of selling lessons and you never have been. And Daniel and I have talked about this for so many episodes. You are developing lasting lifetime relationships with families. The most important currency you have being a small business owner that believes wholly from their heart in what they do are the relationships you've developed to date with your families. So I would strongly encourage a three-month plan on doubling down on those relationships and asking those families why you're so special. Go to them and say, hey, I'm going to be candid with you. I'm a little nervous because the School of Rock just opened up down the block. Can you tell me what makes my community so uh, beneficial to you? Right? So double down on your relationships. Don't be afraid. Just do it. Just talk to them. Yeah. The customer research angle. You're talking my language, Nate. Yeah, I know. I, I know you dig that last one. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. I got a couple we can add on to here, and then I think we'll close her out. I love what you said, Nate, about uh, this driving you to action. So there's a few actions I would tell people to do as well, along with the really good ideas you've already given there. One, almost every small business underspends on marketing. So expand your marketing. And when I say that, I'm saying specifically more exposure. If you want, uh, use this, um, uh, uh, this disturbance in the force, so to speak, to move you to be a little more bold in your marketing in terms of uh, the maybe adding a channel or two, um, upping the budget a little bit, that sort of thing. I don't, again, in looking at what I've done with past folks, most people are already, they don't really see a big disturbance. But I'm just going to say, as long as you're going to freak yourself out, as long as you're anxious about this, go ahead and let this drive you to expand your expand your marketing. Mm. Um, that's the first way I'd have you expand marketing. Second way I referenced a little bit ago when I uh, was speaking about the metrics, um, expand your marketing in terms of the quality of the marketing, i.e. better program descriptions, better copywriting, better headlines, optimization of your funnels, optimization of your website. Almost every school can get a lift in the number of leads and the number of students they're enrolling each month just by doing those things. And guess what? You don't even have to have competition to get benefit from that. You could do that right now 
many schools that work with me in terms of uh, in, in putting into place the marketing funnel that I teach schools to have before they even add additional marketing channels. A lot of times they just end up getting more leads every single month simply because they're optimizing uh, what they already have before they even expand on, uh, you know, to those other things. So optimize the quality of the marketing, expand the marketing in a third way. Uh, and I'm going to use the quality word again, but in a different way, um, expand the quality markers of your school. So reviews, testimonials, videos yes. of student performances, case studies, better stories, or just using stories in the marketing instead of just blandly telling people, you know, the features and, and mm-hmm. even the benefits, just like stories speak so much louder than a thousand words on how, on, on the super, superiority of your approach, how you do things, how it's better than this school down the street. So show don't tell is kind of how you very mm. succinctly said that earlier. And then fourth thing isn't expand your marketing. It's just monitor your metrics. And this is kind of what I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. Most schools, even mid-sized schools that I work with, when they come to work with me, they're, they don't even have a basic business dashboard where they're keeping track of their funnels. And so it's like flying blind in a snowstorm. You, you just, you're just going to be beaten about. You have no idea what direction mm-hmm. you're going, and it's going to be really freaky. Versus a pilot, if I can extend the analogy here, who... <laughs> has been trained and has a license um, to do instrument flying where maybe they can't even see out the front of of the plane, maybe because they're in a bad storm, but they can fly that thing based on the instruments. That's what having a good metrics dashboard can do for school. You can act most times. If I have a, a even halfway decent metrics dashboard that I can look at when I start working with a school, I can pretty much figure out where all their threats and opportunities are. And once again, what I mostly find is the biggest threat is themselves because <laughs> um, they're just not, they're not taking full advantage. They can't of all the opportunities they have around them. And they're not really, they haven't really optimized their marketing, their funnel, their copy, their program descriptions, those sorts of things. And um, yeah, mm. so those are four ways that people can take action. And again, I think most of the threat that people feel from competition around them is largely in their head. Um, but I still think these four things make you competition proof. So I know there's a little bit of a contradiction there because on one hand I'm saying I really don't believe in it, but at the same time, if you wanted to future-proof yourself, do these things. I just don't think it's it's all that necessary to future-proof yourself. Just do it so you can serve more people in your community, so you have a fun career, so you don't have to constantly be worrying about where your next student's coming from, so you can keep students for longer. Do it for that reason. Don't do it. Do it for the joy and the love of the game, not out of fear of the competition. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, Would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please, share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.